All right. It's good to see you this morning. Before we have that video, we have some missionaries with us this morning. Doug and Jail Robitaille and Mike are, uh, are here this morning. Doug and Jail are missionaries we support to Indonesia. And uh, I'm excited. We've had a chance this weekend to, to get to know them a little better. And Doug and Jail are going to come and share about their ministry that they have in Indonesia. They've been there for, I'm going to use all your stuff that, uh, that you uh, were going to say, 22 years in Indonesia. And uh, so I, it's God's using them in amazing ways. So I want you to be able to hear what God's doing. So Doug and Jail, please share. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, we, we were here in this auditorium about 10 years ago, 2011. I thought it was 2014 or 2015, but it was actually 2011, uh, visiting with the Pearsons. You all know Jim and Arlene, um, and uh, they've been family friends for before we were born. Uh, Jim grew up with my father-in-law in Nebraska, and so that's kind of the connection to, uh, to you all, and we came and visited about 10 years ago. So uh, this morning, uh, in the, the time that we have, I just, we wanted to share a little bit about what we do and how we got called into ministry and into missionary work, because it wasn't something I thought I would be doing when I was uh, 20 years old. Uh, so just to give a little bit of a background uh, before we do that, we work with an organization called Ethnos 360. It used to be called New Tribes Mission. And uh, New Tribes Mission, as an organization, we do Bible translation, church planting, discipleship, creating Bible curriculum in, in remote languages so that people in different language groups, uh, 850 different language groups in Indonesia can understand God's word and can read it in their own language. So that's a, an idea of what we do as an organization. And um, I'm going to turn it over to Jail to share her testimony. Um, my name is Jail, so you might wonder how that's pronounced. Um, it comes from Judges, so Jail with the nail, so it's pretty easy to remember. She drove this tent spike through Sisera's temple and saved the Israelites, so <laughs> that's how, how I got my name when my parents were going through Judges. Um, so as Doug mentioned, my dad grew up with Jim Pearson in um, Nebraska and was saved through Navigators. Um, Sorry, I'm so nervous right now. I don't know why. Um, saved through Navigators in 69, right after my parents got married. And um, so they right away sold all their belongings and everything. My dad was a cowboy, um, was in rodeos and um, bucking broncos and um, had the boots and the hat and the, the cowboy shirts and everything and, and thought that was had to do with his past. So he got rid of that along with all his um, habits of punching people out and things like that. And um, they sold everything and, w and started um, training with New Tribes Mission in Wisconsin. And later I was born there. <clears throat> and um, they got down to Paraguay, South America, and I was about three or four years old. And um, the leadership there asked my parents um, if my dad knew anything about um, cattle because there was a very primitive tribal group called the Ayore who um, needed to stay in um, one place long enough for the, um, the missionaries to learn the language and culture so that they could present the gospel. So, um, right, um, so, so the 100 head of cattle were from, was from the government, and so right away my dad had everything given back to him that he had given up for the Lord. So um, 
I grew up again with horses and um, checking on cattle, making sure the lions and jaguars weren't eating the, the calves. And um, in fact, we had an outhouse um, because we were just so far out, out in the middle of the jungle that um, <clears throat> um, our outhouse, we couldn't go um, to the bathroom in the middle of the night because of jaguars and lions um, circling our, our house. So that's how, how primitive and um, um, just out in the jungle we were. Um, I'm the oldest of three daughters also, and um, my dad pretty much raised us as, as tomboys. We were the ones that would climb the highest trees, um, grab horses at the end of the airstrip and race them to the other end without saddles, and um, just um, I'm sure we made his heart really proud <laughs> doing wild things like that. So it was... Um, paradise for us girls um, about the age of five or so. I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And it was around that time <clears throat> that um, our, our house that my dad built out of adobe was located on the other side of the airstrip from the Indian village. So the Iota Indians were considered one of the most feared tribes of all South America. They had killed the first five missionaries with new tribes in um, 1942. So right before the the ones in Ecuador were killed. <clears throat> and so um, so the village, the tribal people that we were with were so, um, I guess, primitive that they had no eyebrows, no eyelashes that they plucked out in worship to their bird god, Asona. They also buried alive their firstborn, sometimes their secondborn, their, their twins. Um, any, anyone with deformities were buried alive. They, were just, they just lived in fear of the bird god, Asona. And um, so one night, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we heard some commotion going on in the village, and my dad um, asked if I wanted to go with him to check out what was going on. So as a little child, <clears throat> and getting to stay up past 8 o'clock, that was like, of course I'm going to go to the village. So we went over there, and um, the, the people were gathered around the outskirts of the village, and they were digging a hole. And there was an elderly man there, which... Um, elderly in those terms because of their their harsh upbringing and how they were always fleeing from other clans that were killing each other. Um, elderly meant like 50 years old back then. So this elderly man was um, squatting on the ground and then he um, climbed into a gunny sack and, and they were burying him alive. So at that point, for a little child, um, that was what changed my life in deciding that I wanted to do missionary work overseas um, to people groups that had never once had the chance to hear the gospel in their own language. Um, so they, they buried him alive that night, and I remember asking my dad, um, where is he going? What's, what's going to happen when he dies? <clears throat> and my dad said that um, they were not far enough in the language um, to be able to even present the gospel and to tell him about Jesus Christ dying for him. So I knew that he was going to hell. And um, so that really started me on a, on a path to um, being a missionary. So, so after that, we had a lot of, my dad had a lot of medical problems with his ears, and we left the field when I was about getting ready for high school. And um, they ended up being on staff with the New Tribes Training Center in Mississippi. And I finished the New Tribes um, Bible College in Michigan and moved to San Diego because of all the yachts in the harbor. That was the only reason. <laughs> and um, I still hadn't gotten married. I, would do, I wanted to go overseas, but not alone. And so I moved over there, and that's where I met Doug. 
Okay, so I'll pick it up from there. Uh, we met at Campus Crusade for Christ in 1991 in uh, San Diego at San Diego State. Go Aztecs. Anybody is familiar with them? Um, and you know, you, you see this pretty girl. You're like, a, I was like 21, you know, and see this pretty girl walk in the room, and uh, of course, like I, I guess I gave her my phone number. And um, but we started to get to know each other. And after after like three weeks of kind of dating, Jail says to me, so Doug, are you, let's not waste each other's time. Do you want to serve God as a missionary or no for the rest of your life? <laughs> and I'm like, holy cow. Uh, I'm a believer. I trusted Christ when I was five years old. I was raised in a Baptist church and I had a walk with God. I was, we were witnessing uh, with the campus crusade people at the college students on campus. So I, I, I understood the gospel. I knew I was going to heaven I knew I wanted to serve God with my profession, whatever that would be, but I never thought about doing that, you know, as a missionary overseas. So it took me about nine months to really make sure that missionary work is something that I would do even if we broke up or if it didn't work out. And it wasn't something I was just following my girlfriend or my wife to do. And so after going on a short-term trip to Papua New Guinea about nine months later, um, I decided missionary work is something I, I want to do. It's something I, you know, it's not like I got a phone call from God saying go, but it was something that I felt like, you know, this is something that um, I would be willing to do and endure hardship. And that's really the key thing, you know, in, in my opinion. If somebody is called to into something, they're going to be willing to endure hardship along the way. And we've had our own uh, hardships along the way, but um, we... Looking back, it's the best thing that we did, and the best decision I did was aiming my life towards something, um, a role that would be have eternal results. And that's kind of a challenge for all of you, especially for the, the young folks in the room here. As you're thinking about what you're going to do, um, getting education, uh, you know, is great. I have a degree in accounting. I was That was the route I was pursuing, and I, I pursued that for a while. But... Um, I've used that background all through the mission field. And so for you younger guys out here, um, looking for that career, it's possible to, to serve God right where you're at, right here in Montana, with that career, using that as a, as a stepping stone to witnessing to your coworkers. And all of those careers that you might uh, focus in uh, uh, here in Montana, they're also needed on the mission field too. So if anybody is interested in serving God, come talk to us in the back afterwards, and we would love to share with you our training track that we have, um, as well as the different options to do that. So back to meeting jail, that's where I'm like, holy cow, yeah, this is what, something I wanted to do after nine months of thinking about it, praying about it, finished my final year of college, got out of debt. I, was, I had school debt, and that's a miracle in itself, but... Um, we started, uh, we got married, and then uh, worked for a year, got out of debt, and then we went to Bible college for me. And uh, went, that started a track of three and a half years of continued education, uh, of training to be a missionary. And then we left for Indonesia in the year 2000, January 2000, right after Y2K, for all you guys remember that. So what do we do in Indonesia? That's the last thing I just wanted to end with. Um, we worked there, um, you know, when we left, we knew that we were going to be involved in discipleship of Indonesians as well as 
function as the accountant for the organization. In the third world, if you can imagine this, um, basically the, the goal is to get a job where the money flows because that's how you get rich. You don't get rich by learning a skill or a trade. You, you figure out how to wiggle your way into the money flow. And so for ministry organizations, it's a real problem. Uh, it's a problem here in the States actually too. But um, so as an accountant, having, a, a foreign, having an American come as an accountant to make sure the donations that get sent from the USA or from one of those 12 other countries that we have partnerships with so that the money is used according to the donor's intent. That's kind of like our marching orders. So I did that for seven years, and I've trained a, a staff of guys, uh, men, and some women to, uh, to take over and to have uh, this broad uh, ministry spectrum of 32 language groups across a distance of like LA to Florida. Uh, that's how the area that it spans, and it's made up of like 17,000 islands. So uh, I function as, now, nowadays, I function as the, the director of the organization in Indonesia, um, and kind of my, some of my responsibilities would be like the personnel director as well as this, the chief financial officer, the CFO, and uh, the chairman of the leadership team. Okay, um, I have been running the Mission Guest House for the past um, 21 years, and um, also homeschooling our three daughters because in our region we don't have any international schools or any schools that um, have English in them. And so we actually gave them a choice to go to international schools that are on all different islands, but um, they preferred to be homeschooled. And I'm not actually a, a homeschool type of teacher, but um, we made it through. And um, one of our daughters has already graduated from Biola University, and the next two, one's a senior, Jensen, and uh, the baby is a freshman there at um, Biola University. So um, we have 13 guest rooms in our guest house. So if you guys ever want to visit Borneo, you're welcome to stay with us. So we just want to thank you guys once again for praying for us and for supporting us. Um, and we are, uh, we love what we're doing. And if anybody has any questions or we have a magnet, like a prayer uh, picture magnet that you can put in your refrigerator, you can get that in the back. As well as there's a list for Jails Unblog is what it's called. And it's a periodic uh, email to just share what we're doing. It's not a fundraising thing to raise money, so don't be afraid that it's something like that, but it's just to give you a glimpse of what the missionaries are doing in Indonesia. So thank you very much. Well, I trust that you will uh, spend some time out with them after service this morning. Also at uh, 3 o'clock this afternoon at the Pearson's house, uh, there is a get-together with them. There will be ice cream and cookies and missionaries. So uh, you can, uh, all three of those sound pretty good, don't they? So that's this afternoon at the Pearson's house, 3 o'clock. And you can, uh, if you don't know directions or address, it's in the directory. You also can uh, contact one of us or the Pearsons to find out more information about that. Another thing that we, or I want to encourage you to consider, as God has blessed you to uh, support them as they're traveling around on this furlough, uh, they're going 
through different places. I know one of the things they're doing here in the near future is spending some time with prospective missionaries here in the U.S. and uh, involved in, the, in a training and uh, letting them know about the ministry in Indonesia and also spending time with churches and supporters uh, throughout the United States. So we want to bless them. And as a church, we're honored to have a little part in their regular support as part of our missions budget. But as God has blessed you, consider how you can help them in their ministry. And if you would like to do that, you can go online and you can give. Or if you would like to write a check, you can write it to the church and put Indonesia on the memo. And uh, you can put it in the offering box. And uh, we want to support them and encourage them in the ministry that they have. And as you know, uh, there are costs involved with that. So as God's blessed you, consider how you could help them and encourage them that way. It's a busy time. We are busy in uh, getting ready for fall. As you walked out of your house this morning, uh, you noticed that fall is coming. Uh, or you may say fall is here. And some of you may be a little more warm-blooded. You say winter's here. Uh, but with that, we have our fall activities, fall programs, and Awana begins tonight, beginning today, children's ministry in both services. And so uh, please pray for those things. Be involved in that and other fall activities, connect groups, as we'll be talking about it through the message, our spiritual gifts class during the 1030 hour and also connect groups uh, looking at spiritual gifts. And I, I sort of messed it up. We had a little video and uh, with missionaries here. We were going to show it uh, either before or between and I jumped up and started talking. And uh, so now I jumped up again and started talking. So we'll probably save that for another week. That's my fault, guys. And, uh, but anyway, there's a really cool video that's probably better than the message that you're going to miss because I got too excited and jumped in. But let's pray and ask for God's blessing and wisdom this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with you. And, and Lord, as we look at your word, may the principles be obvious to us. But Lord, not just for knowledge's sake. May we apply what we learn from your word uh, to better serve you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I know probably most of you were here last week or not here at Clefner Ranch. And by the way, so many people worked so hard. Thank you for that. It was a great time. What a celebration as we had our fall kickoff. And part of what we reminded you about is this series that we are looking at, Spiritual Gifts. And you know... Whenever you're, you're attempting to accomplish a task, it's always good to have a plan, isn't it? If you don't have a plan, it's a, an incredible struggle. Uh, growing up in sports, you always had all the little sayings that the coaches used. And I remember one that one of our coaches always used to love to say is, uh, you know, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And, uh, you know, if you don't have a plan... You don't know 
what's going to happen. I remember I had a, a friend and I were uh, coaching an elementary basketball team. And, and coaching an elementary basketball team, you learn patience. You learn to laugh, because if not, you may cry. But you, you have a variety of kids. You have some that can dribble, some that can't. Some that uh, have a, a rudimentary knowledge of basketball, some that have no clue. And, and we were coaching this team, and, and, and we had a couple goals, pretty simple goals with this team. And, and you, you wanted to make sure everybody had a chance to play. I mean, this is elementary basketball. You wanted to make sure they had fun. You, you hoped to win at least one game, because if you lose every game, it sort of gets discouraging as the year goes on. You win at least one game and be competitive. I remember we, uh, our girls team when I was in junior high lost 62-1. to one. That was uh, quite a game. But you want to be competitive. That, that was a little rabbit trail I went off on there. Um, and you want to teach them about basketball. And, and so that they understand the game more and, and, and understand the fundamentals more by the end of the year because obviously a large majority of the children that uh, my friend and I coached went on to college, a few in the NBA. Uh, that was a joke. All right. Now, their parents believed that they had college scholarships and NBA careers uh, in their future. After the first game, we were pretty confident they didn't. But, but you also, there's some smaller goals. And one of them is that everybody scores at least one basket, or, or even a free throw, during the year. You know it's hard for those kids, and, and they never score. And so we would always try to, try to make sure that they could score at least once during the year. And uh, this was, I remember a game, and it was near the end of the year, and we had this one little boy, nicest boy. Usually when you say that, that means they weren't good at basketball. And he wasn't. And we were trying so hard to have him score one basket during the year. And so we were playing a team who had, I mean, they were just like us. You know, had some that did okay, some that were, had no clue. And, and, and he had this little boy that was guarding him that, that probably knew less about basketball than he did. And so, you know... My friend and I, we were like, this is his chance. And so we had him in there, and, and, and the guy was not guarding him at all. Not, I mean, not even close. I mean, he was standing out by the midcourt line. And, and so I was yelling, go to the bucket, go to the bucket, go to the bucket. Now, I knew what that meant. That's the basket. Because if he shot from one foot from the basket, it was a lot more chance by pure accident that the ball would go in. Than if, and, and the kid that could dribble that was out on the court and could possibly pass, I'm like, throw him the ball, throw him the ball. And, and, and our kid just sort of wandered out around the sideline. And so there was a break in the action. And I'll never forget, this little boy went up, and, and he didn't go to me, he went to my friend, probably because I was a little too intense, I guess. And he said, what's the bucket? You have to understand. If you don't understand, you're not going to succeed. 
And as a church, we are called to make a difference in the world. But God has a plan. He's got a strategy for us to have victory in what we're called to do. And as a church, we're called to impact our world. We, we have our statement, worship, grow, and share. We worship God. We, we grow in our relationship with Christ and we share His Word as we serve and as we, as we share what God has done in our life. But God has a plan. And He gives a great nutshell picture of that plan in Ephesians chapter 4. And this morning, we're going to read it together. It's going to be up on the screen here. We're going to read it together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So uh, read with me. It says, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ." from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. God's plan for us. Now there's other places in the New Testament that God has, has demonstrated or described this plan. But here we see it, it laid out very simply. God's plan. And God has chosen to use the church. Now, I know there's people that say, well, you know, I just worship God in nature. And I enjoy going on a hike. I don't walk quite as fast as I used to. Some of you, and I have too, uh, like to walk with an elk at the end of our hike. But uh, sometimes that may happen, sometimes that may not. But, But God's creation is beautiful. But God has chosen to use His church for the furtherance of His kingdom. That's God's plan. And the church is made up of, we call it the universal church. That means all Christians, but also individual local churches like Hannaford. And God has chosen to use the church for His plan. And in these verses, He lays out what it should look like. And there's a couple things that we need to recognize that will help us do a better job of fulfilling the plan that God has for us. Now, I have appreciated and continue to appreciate our church. And, and every time you, you get a little strong, people say, oh, we must really be messing up. Well, no, I believe God is using our church in amazing ways, but we can always be challenged to get better. So I trust you'll take this morning 
And as we look through these spiritual gifts with that in mind. So what does he say? Well, let's, let's begin with a little bit of a background. We're the same, but different. If you go through Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see that, that Paul is talking about unity. Being unified in Christ. Paul reminds over and over in, in this passage and others about that. Verses 4-6. through six. We, we realize that when we're united in Christ, that we're different. It says in verses 4-6, through six, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now I'm going to give you a little test here. What word is used most in those verses? One. One is used about five times or six times in those verses. All is used quite a bit. But one. We are one. We are unified in Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 5 and the beginning of verse 6 says this, So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. We are the same, but different. We're unified in Christ. We are one body in Christ. We have one goal. But yet every single one of us are different. And that can be good and bad. If you're married here this morning, you find that. You know, my spouse is different than I am. And that can drive me crazy because why don't they just think like I think? Well, that happens because they complete you. And believe it or not, you have some weaknesses where they have strengths that, that when you work together, the two as one are stronger. But as a church, there are many parts. And each part is different, has a different responsibility, has different gifts, have different abilities and passions and experience and background. But they all work together for the goal of the whole. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at spiritual gifts and how we're to use them. What's a spiritual gift? Warren Wiersbe defined a spiritual gift this way. He said, a spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. God-given. He gives every follower of Christ spiritual gifts. They're given by Him. If you have, an, if you have a problem with your gift... You can talk to me, but it won't do much good. You need to talk to God about that. And I have a feeling He's wiser than all of us. 
And as you'll, uh, I, I encourage you, and you will hear this over and over again, to be involved in a connect group or in the adult class that meets at 10.30. We're going to go through the different spiritual gifts that are mentioned in Scripture and, and, and what they are and, and, and give you an opportunity to see what yours may be and, and a challenge to use them in ministry for Christ. But God has given them. He has given them to every follower of Him, every Christian. But they are used for the glory of God and to edify other people. If I use my gift so people will say, wow, John's impressive, I'm going to fail miserably. And by the way, pretty quick you'll realize, yeah, John's not that impressive. He's got some issues. So we need to recognize what gifts are for. God is the architect. God is the one who designed the plan. He's chosen to use the church. And and, uh, He's chosen to use us, fallible human beings, to have the responsibility of sharing the Gospel and growing in Him. He's also given us the ability to accomplish the task. In the beginning of verse 11, it says, And He Himself gave. He Himself. God has given you the ability to accomplish the task. How many times have you you said, Oh, you know, this would be great, but I can't do that. God's given each and every one the ability to perform the tasks that He has for them. Now, there are certain tasks that you won't be able to perform because they don't fit your gift lane. There's things that I can't perform. In our staff, there's lots of times where I say, well, I'll do that, but many of our staff members could do it so much better than I could. But God is the architect and He has given us the resources to fulfill the task. So what's the plan? In verses 11 and 12, we see the plan. It says, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's the plan that God has set up? Well, we could break it out into... uh, Three parts. Equip, serve, and build up. At the beginning of verse 11, he he shares some of these leadership gifts. Now, apostles are no longer. They they saw the risen Christ, uh, and so they died out shortly after Christ in the first century. But then prophets and and, uh, evangelists and pastor-teachers or shepherds And they have the responsibility of equipping the saints. That means all of the followers of Christ. But the saints were the ones who were to serve, to use their gifts to do what? To build up the body of Christ. To edify 
Now, I'm going I'm to share a couple things that, that individually if somebody says this, I, and if you say this, I know you're well-meaning, but I'm going to try to encourage you to think a little differently. I have people come up to me and say, well, how's your church doing? It's not my church. If it was my church, it wouldn't be doing well. Because I would be not God. It's His church. But it's also our church. Is Hannaford Street Bible Church a perfect church? Absolutely not. If you're part of Hannaford Street and you question whether it is, just look in the mirror and you say, no, we're not a perfect church. Because we're a group of imperfect people. Are we the only church? Only good church? Absolutely not. Now, I tend to think we're a good church. But we're definitely not the only church. But God has chosen to use this church, as well as other churches, to grow His kingdom. And we need to recognize that it, it's not my church. It's not a building. It's a group of individuals who desire to worship, grow, and share. That's what it is. And that's what we're called to do. And I am not the minister. Now, we're more informal than many churches, so you probably never thought to call me the minister, but I'm not. We are all ministers. Every single one of us, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, are called to be ministers of the gospel of Christ. To use our spiritual gifts, to use our talents, our natural abilities, our passion, our experience for the kingdom of God. Whether it is as a school teacher or a mechanic or a, an office worker here in the United States or an accountant in Indonesia, we're called to serve. And we're all to minister. That's God's plan. Now, God compares it to a body or a team. And, and I remember as, as uh, I, I was coaching back in Minnesota years ago, and, and there was this team from Rochester. And they were an incredibly small school. If I remember right, I mean... I, I shouldn't even say because I can't remember exactly, but, but very few high school boys. And, and we went to a tournament, and they were at the tournament. And our team came in second place. Pretty good. You can shake my hand after the service. We played them in the championship game, and they beat us by about 25 points. And you know why they beat us by 25 points? Because they let off the gas. They could have beat us by 40. But the amazing thing was they had an all-tournament team. 
And none of their players made first team all tournament. For you non-sports people, that's that they choose the best players in terms. Why? I mean, they they could have won the championship game by 40 points. They could have beat every team in that tournament by 40 or more points. What happened was they all knew their role and they all performed their role. They were a well-oiled machine. They worked very hard. But they recognized the goal of the whole and they recognized their part in it. And when each one did their part, they were hard to stop. Now, that's what God desires for us as a church. To serve together, to do something much more important than winning a tournament. To impact our world for Jesus Christ. And in the next verses, he gives some results. Now, now this isn't a full list of the results, but these are some of the results that will take place when we are equipped to serve and build up the body. We see in verse 13 the, the maturity that comes when we work according to God's plan. Verse 13 says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That word perfect there means complete or mature. And as the people are equipped and as they serve, they will grow and they will mature. They will grow as they serve and the people they serve will grow. But not only maturity, and that could really be an overriding result, but we see some other results that take place in verses 14 through 16. In verse 14, the idea of stability. Verse 14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. As, the part, as a part of maturity, people will recognize false teaching and recognize what needs to be priorities and recognize when they're going down the wrong path. It's interesting if you look at cults. Do you know what the prime target of cults are? Immature church people. And, and maybe they have a, a right, and often they have the right desire but they don't have a recognition of what God has as a plan. And, and it talks about the word trickery. The trickery of men. That word trickery is a term that means a cube and referred to lotus, loaded dice. They're going to trip you up. And the cunning craftiness is the cunning craftiness of, of Satan as he plots to destroy us and destroy the work of God in the world. But when we are being equipped and when we are serving and when we're edifying or building up one another, we'll be able to recognize that false teaching. 
recognize what's most important, the priorities that we're to have, recognize what God is in and what God is not in. And that goes along with verse 15, the idea of wisdom. But speaking the truth in love that may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Now, we have to understand that that wisdom connects with the false teaching of verse 14 or recognizing the false teaching of verse 14. They connect because of the word but. We're not just taken here and there by every false doctrine that comes our way. But we speak the truth in love. And every single one of us has a tendency to lean one way or the other in the truth-love spectrum. But if we're all truth, no love, we're going to be harsh and push people away. If we're all love and no truth, we'll have nothing to say. But we'll say it very nicely. Truth and love. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul talks about being, as we, in our conversation, being full of grace. And for about 30 seconds, I'm going to jump on a hobby horse here. Social media. For some reason, we think if we're anonymous or we're not standing face to face, we can say things with no love. And unfortunately, oftentimes we, we destroy the testimony of God by the harshness of our words. We need to have the truth. Don't get me wrong. But we need to share in love. And you say, well, but yeah, Paul's... Paul was talking about how do we deal with false teaching. People that were coming in and intentionally trying to destroy the work of God. And they were to stand against it with the truth in love. As followers of Christ, we need to stand for the truth and never waver from the truth. But we must do it in love. If we don't do it in love, we are going to have no audience to hear the important things we have to say. And so Paul says, speak the truth in love. We need to be Christ-like. Notice the end of the verse, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ. We're to be Christ-like in our conversation. And then finally in verse 16, the idea of the teamwork. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple weeks. Verse 16 says this, For whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You notice words like whole and every part, every joint. We all have to work together. And when one part doesn't do its job, it affects the whole. 
You're all familiar with the 80-20 principle, right? And that's being challenged because people say, well, really, it's more like the 90-10 principle. The 80-20 principle, if you're not familiar with it, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Paul is challenging the church there in Ephesus as well as Hannaford Street Bible Church in Helena, Montana and every church that preaches the gospel with this challenge. We all have roles. We all have the ability to fulfill the roles because God gives us that. And when we all work together, we will accomplish the task and impact our world. So I want us to remember two things. Number one, it's God's design. He's come up with the plan. And by the way, God is the best designer. And number two, we all have our part to do. We are all ministers. Unfortunately, the church has fallen in many ways into what our culture has fallen into, and that's a consumer mentality. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And when that's our attitude, we're going to fail. We need to recognize, you know what? God has, through His grace, given me eternal life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and with eternal life, God has also given me some abilities as well as natural abilities that I have as a human being and experience that I've gained over my life and passions that I have that God's given me. Well, those along with those spiritual gifts. For the glory of God and the edifying or building up of others. And you know what? You can look around this room and there's something that God has for you that He has equipped you more than any other person in this room. Think about that. He has a spot for you. But you need to be able to say, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm going to figure out what my gifts are Consider my abilities and my passion and my experience. And strive to find a place where I can use those things for the glory of God and the building up of others as we are called to our task of impacting our world. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your goodness. Thank you that as Almighty God, that you love us more than we can imagine. Thank you that, that we have your grace in salvation. Help, but help us to recognize we also have a responsibility of serving you. Using our gifts, our abilities, our passion, our experience to make a difference in the world. And Lord, we 
look forward to what you have, or thank you for what you have done, look forward to what you are doing and will continue to do through this ministry. Lord, other churches in our community that we would make a difference in Helena. Not just in the Helena, but around our world. Lord, we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.